Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Welcome to another edition of Children of Song, the podcast that explores what it must have been like to grow up surrounded by music. For those of us who might be taking this journey with us for the first time, we're speaking with artists for whom making music is as natural as breathing. I'm Robert K. Orman, your host, and I'm joined by my producer, Brad Newman, back here in Nashville again. Hey, Robert, how are you? I'm good. You know, what's special today about today's guest is she is a woman of many firsts. You know, she she was known as the little girl with the big, big voice. So it's going to be fun. <laughs> Not only that, she's the only woman in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the Country Music Hall of Fame, the Rockabilly Hall of Fame. More double-sided hits than any woman in country, in history. <laughs> it's just, and a remarkable career by and a, a living Thanks. legend and one of my buddies, Brenda yes. Lee. Brenda Lee, Thank the you, great, Bob. the one and only. <laughs> I don't think I would have gotten out of bed this early for anybody but you, Bob. So You're take that any way you want to, audience. <laughs> You're the crack of dawn girl if I ever knew it. I am. I get up early. I'm an early bird. You're also in the Georgia Music Hall of Fame. I am. And that's because... I'm from Georgia. Yes. And, and um, that upbringing, you know, I've, we've talked about this before, about how there's nothing in your family background that's musical. You just sort of popped out of nowhere. Your mother doesn't sing. Your siblings don't sing. Mm -mm. I'm thinking maybe it was your dad and and a gift he left you that you don't know about. Well, you know, I was going through some old family photos, and I found a picture of my dad's um, grandmother, Mm -hmm. and she was playing a fiddle. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. Now, that's the only person that I know through trying to find out on both sides of the family if anybody was musical other than just singing in church or that kind of thing. And that's the only one I can find out that ever played an instrument or anything. So it so. must be from that side of the family. And, and we're talking early, But early. now my mother was a good singer. Was she? Yeah, she's the she one She smoked that, so many cigarettes by the time I got I, to know her. I, isn't that the truth? <laughs> um, she used to sing me to sleep every night. Mm-hmm. with, and, and when I got old enough, I'd say, Mama... What were those songs you were singing me when I was little? Because I loved them. Mm-hmm. And they were Hank Williams songs. And that's how I became acquainted with Hank Williams. And she uh, told you, you probably don't even remember, you were singing before you literally even knew who you were, right? Oh, like, absolutely. What, three or something like I that? I started singing. I entered my first talent show at three years old. Wow. Yeah. Did you win? Mm. <laughs> it was a talent slash beauty contest (laughs) beauty got money and i knew even at that early age that we needed money Mm -hmm. i knew we were poor Mm -hmm. so i got first in talent which you got a box of king edward peppermint sticks which i will not eat to this day (laughs) i was so mad because another little girl got beauty and she got the money but um, that was my entree into, I guess, my first taste of, ooh, 
I like this applause. You like and the I applause. like this audience. And I, not even knowing what it was, but I knew applause. I liked it. Applause is a drug. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> Owen says it's harder to. Uh, Owen Bradley. Mm-hmm. He once told me. He said applause is harder to uh, get off of than heroin. That's right. <laughs> That's what he told. Me. What'd you sing at the town? At town. I sang. Um, oh, wait a minute. What was the top song there that? Um, was out at the Too time. Young, was that it? Too Young, yes, thank they you, Bob. Try to they try to tell us we're too young. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> a big Nat King Cole hit. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> now, uh, I remember a Take Me Out to the Ball Game story. Oh, yeah, my dad was a southpaw, and he, was a, he wasn't a pro, but he would always play baseball on Sundays. He started when he was in the Army at Schofield Barracks in Hawaii. And so I would go to all the games with him, and I would open up the games and sing Take Me Out to the Ball Game. At what? At what? Three. Three? Uh-huh. <laughs> three years old. You actually knew all the words at three? I did. Uh, and that that has been uh, astounding to me as well. It, it's God just gifted me with a, a memory. And I can hear something once and almost tell you verbatim. Daddy used to play, and I used to open the games. Take me out to the ball game. You know, we should have, you should have recorded it. You could be in every major league stadium in the United States today. Not too late. <laughs> <laughs> now, Dad, your dad died. You were what, seven, eight? Seven. When that, do you, is there a hole in your life because of that, do you think? Well, there has to be. You know? You know, Mama filled that gap wonderfully. But there has to be. Um, Daddy, you know, I would have loved to have known my father uh, better. And he was always the one. uh, He called me Booty. Mm -hmm. And he's always the one that says, Booty's going to be a star one day. She just doesn't know it. Mm -hmm. And um, he was a quiet man and um, kept to himself. But uh, It was a construction accident. uh Mm Uh-huh, construction accident and... Good man. And right after that, you're on the radio. You're like making money on the radio. Yeah. What, at eight? About you know, seven, seven. Somewhere along eight. in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you become a professional. or a, Were you a professional, do you think? I mean, Yeah, I guess when you make money, you're considered a, a professional mm-hmm. of sorts. But, you know, like I said, I knew early on that we didn't have a lot. Mm-hmm. And my mom was working 14 hours a day in a cotton mill. And uh, there were three of us, three siblings. And uh, I knew we needed money. And when I figured out that I could sing and get paid for it, and I loved to sing, Mm -hmm. well, that was just absolutely a a gift dropped out of heaven. I thought that was wonderful. And you had such a great idol in Hank Williams. Oh, I did. And Mahalia Jackson was another one. Mahalia Jackson, Sister Rosetta Tharp. I just, I loved the gospel. I loved Hank Williams. Um, And as I said, mom used to sing me to sleep every night with Hank Williams songs. Mm -hmm. And when I finally met him, all I could think of to say that came out of my mouth was, so you're the guy that was in my bedroom every night. And everybody around was like, what? And I'm like, no, no. My mama sang Hank to me every night before I went to bed. So that's why Jambalaya is one of your first singles, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Matching Over the Hilltop. I used to sing all the time. A lot of people don't know that Hank wrote beautiful 
gospel music oh, yeah. as well. When I get to glory, I'm going to sing, sing, sing. Yeah. That's one of my favorites. So Jambalaya. My first record, uh, but the first song I guess I ever sang, I'd, other than things like Take Me Out to the Ball Game and Too Young and, and those kind of things. But, uh, yeah, that was my first record when I was 10 years old. Now, you get your big break from Red Foley, who was in the Country Music Hall of Fame and a great, great... He sang both boogie-woogie type stuff and great ballads and great spirituals, just yes. a really cool artist that a lot of people don't remember today. Absolutely. But what was the what was the deal there? He had a TV show, right? He did. I was in Augusta, Georgia, and I performed every Saturday at the Brenda Lee Record Shop on Main Street <laughs> with a disc jockey called Peanuts Faircloth. And he was little, like me, so they called him Peanuts. And he, he would was take me. Polio to, victim, wasn't he? Yes, he was a polio victim, and mm-hmm. precious, precious. And he would take me to anybody that came into town to play the Bell Auditorium, the famous Bell. He'd take me and say, "Hey, this little girl can really sing. Would you let her sing on your show? Everybody here in town loves her. They know her. You'll be a hit. Let her sing." Mm-hmm. So. Red did, and he liked me, and he asked my mom if, uh, at that point, he had the Junior Jubilee and also the Ozark Jubilee from Springfield, Missouri. First, I guess the first country TV network show Mm -hmm. ever. And uh, I became a regular on that after traveling back and forth from Augusta to Springfield to do the show. And uh, I credit him with with my start, with with putting me out there. for viewers to see. And and he got your record deal, too. Yes, he got me my record deal. Mm-hmm. I was seen on his show by a columnist in New York that you'll know, Jack O'Brien. Mm-hmm. And uh, he wrote me up. And from that, I went on to do the Perry Como show, the Steve Allen show, all the big uh, network TV shows. Now, you're you're young here. She's so just a kid. So yeah. you're, you're, no, is your family, is your mom and the siblings traveling with you? You leave them? Who's your No, guardian? they're with me. They, everybody just and so you're homeschooled because no, I, I went to public school. It, even in Missouri, uh, even in Missouri. Oh, wow! I never wanted to be homeschooled. I wanted that, um, and my mom didn't want me to be. I wanted that experience of riding the school bus, being with the kids, doing everything they did, and it was great. So you didn't lose your childhood really to this music. You felt no. Like- Mm-hmm. Well, no. not at first. Not at first. I didn't know. Yeah. I did not. And I think because of just what Bob said, not at first, that gave me the groundwork to be able to lose it later. But she actually did. You know, you you did go to Maplewood High here. Oh, in, I in did. Nashville. After you moved to Nashville, you did keep going to I did keep school. going to public school. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Had a ball. I was a cheerleader. Uh, <laughs> Rita Coolidge and I were on the squad, and we just had a ball. Can you imagine she and Rita Coolidge? I mean, she's four feet nine. Rita Coolidge is as tall as I am. <laughs> yeah, we were mutton, Jeff. We were. Well, I mean, you're short, so they must have loved you. The boys must have thrown you up in the air all the way up to the sky. Well, they would have, but, you know, that wasn't in at that time with the, with the cheerleading. We weren't doing all that fancy stuff, but um, I, I really had a—I I really praised my mom for making it possible for and and, and just— saying, no, this is the way it's going to be. She's going to be a normal child. She's going to go to normal school. And then, she, you know, then she can be Brenda Lee 
when she's Brenda Lee, but otherwise she's going to do that too. On the weekends pretty and, much. Yeah, and I loved it. I just loved it. Now, one thing that has always fascinated me, I didn't mention this in the intro, but you're also the first person to have recorded in seven languages. Yeah. And you were an international star before you were an American star. I was. So your manager takes you to France. Yes. At the, France is first, right? And then Brazil. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you go to France. You, you're just a kid. Did you even know where France was? No. <laughs> no, because I was only... Uh, 10. 10, 11 years old. And we went to France because I had a hit record there. Who was that? And they, Let's Jump the Broomstick or I, one of the other ones? I'll think of it in a minute. But they kept saying, we sent um, uh, promotional material because mm-hmm. they wanted to book me in the big Olympia Theater there. And so we would send how I looked, and they would write back, send more recent pictures. Because they had heard my voice, and they thought I was a whole lot older. So my manager was pals with Tom Parker, and they were both carnies. So he gets the idea from this, oh, okay, they think she's older. And so he and Tom apparently got together, and the story comes out that I'm really a 42-year-old midget. (laughs) (laughs) And so then the offer started pouring in. And they bought it, right? They bought it, (laughs) hook, line, and sinker. And the offers start coming in, and I go over to the Olympia Theater, and then, of course, everybody sees I'm a kid, and... And they come and they flock to the shows and I have hits. And And Dub made you speak French to get around in Paris. Yes. And Dub was her manager. I had to learn French. I had to learn Spanish. I had to learn Italian. I had to learn Japanese. German. And German. uh, Because, you know, even if you only say good evening or or how are you, I'm glad to be here on stage, they just love it. Uh, Much like we do. Yeah. If they come to our country. If you even try and mess up, they don't care. So that's quite an accomplishment. I mean, kids take on the languages easier. But, I mean, you you, you weren't phonetically cheating. You really learned the languages. Well, she did learn them phonetically to sing. I learned them phonetically to start, but I truly learned the languages. And if you ask, if you went to Japan or France and you said Brenda Lee in French, they thought, that I was a French singer because I sang it so good. And that was just being a kid, and and I think kids learn it better. Mm. You know, they don't have any pre-thought. It's, okay, here's how it goes. You say it like this. Okay. Your mother didn't go along on all those trips, though, did she? Not all of them. Wasn't that a little strange to be letting a little kid romp around with her manager without her mom? It probably would be today. It wasn't then. I remember my manager when... (laughs) When we would be in England and mom wouldn't be there, and we'd get connecting rooms, of course, and he would lock, and those were the days you locked it from the outside with a key. Mm-hmm. And he then he would lock the door and he'd say, Okay, try to get out. And I'd say, Okay. And he said, Are you in? And I'd say, Yes, sir. He'd say, Okay, good night. And that's how it'd be. But we had connecting rooms so he could. But you were locked. But you me. were locked in. But I was locked in that room, and he <laughs> had the key. So uh, that's how it went. And overseas, you were actually a rocker first, right? Yes, I was a rocker. In fact, Gene Vincent mm-hmm. and I were known as the King and Queen of Rock. Come a little baby, let's jump the broomstick. Yeah. 
and he had Bebopalula, and we used to tour together all the time through Europe. <laughs> and you know what? There was no such thing as rock and roll, really. I mean, mm-hmm. you were like one of the first. Yes. I mean, Elvis comes along in 56. That's when you start, too. I mean, right. that's when you're rocking as well. Right. Did you know it was a new kind of music that you were starting? I think we all did. I don't think we knew what it was, especially Elvis and me. Because mm-hmm. we were, I guess, the first. He was, of, of, of especially. We just knew that it was exciting, it was fun, it was different than what our parents were listening to, mm-hmm. which is what we had to listen to before. And uh, that's I think that's why a lot of pastors uh, declared it as the devil's music and whatever. Uh, but we were just having fun, <laughs> you know, and it was just an infectious type sound. It's interesting. How would you describe it back then? You say you you didn't know exactly what it was. It was eventually called rock and roll, but it, it, it did it have a snap to it? It was just something that you could just kind of. Yeah, it did. And if you if you listen to a Little Richard song or an Elvis, it makes you want to get up and move. It just has that gut, raw, I don't know what it is, as compared to what rock became. Right. Not so much dance music. Not so much dance music. But you were a big Fats Domino fan. Oh, I was. Little Richard, Fats Domino, Chuck Berry. I loved them all. And you got to go on some of those tours. I did. That's in the days when they had like the Dick Clark Caravan of Stars, yeah. (laughs) And we we went on a, a... Chubby Checker. Chubby Checker. So those were the days in the South, unfortunately, to where, you know, Chubby couldn't eat in all the restaurants. Chubby couldn't stay in the hotel, so we didn't either. If Chubby couldn't stay, we slept on the bus. Wow. If he couldn't eat in a restaurant, then we went somewhere else. And I, I, people out there in America, how many people can say that they learned how to twist from Chubby Checker himself? Not many, and but you- I did. <laughs> I learned to twist from Chubby. I sure did, and uh, what a nice guy. What a gentle soul. Still with us. Uh-huh. And you guys are buddies to this day. We are. Mm-hmm. All the old rockers and, and, and myself are still buds to this day. Mm-hmm. Now, but your breakthrough here in America, you had Dynamite and Dum Dum and some of these kind of raw, edgy kind of things, but the real breakthroughs were the ballads for you in, yes. in America, starting with I'm Sorry, right? which you were, what, 12, 13? Thirteen going on fourteen, yeah. Which that was the deal with. I'm sorry, uh, the record company kept saying no. Uh, she can't record this because the buy-in public will not believe a, a girl her age singing of unrequited love. Mm-hmm. It's just not going to happen. So we just went in and cut it anyway. Owen and I did. And we. It was your choice, though, yeah, wasn't it? It was my choice. As a kid, I'm amazed they gave you that latitude that they said. They did. Mm-hmm. They always did. And Owen was such a great song guy. He could hear things sometimes that I couldn't, especially back in those days, as you know, when demos came in and it might just be a guitar and a singer, mm-hmm. or it might just be the singer. And I always told Shel Silverstein and Christopherson, those were the worst demos I ever heard in my life. <laughs> I don't know how we ever heard anything in those, and they just laugh at me. But um, 
And some we would get that, uh, like Jackie DeShannon, hers were like, Sounded like you could release them that day. You wrote a bunch of her, re- recorded a bunch of her songs. I recorded a bunch of her stuff. I'm sorry. The other, just the two distinctive things about that record to me. One, he put strings on it, which was very uh, not done, at least not in Nashville. Right. And two, you would do a recitation in the middle of it. Exactly. Why? Okay. It was a 16-bar song. Mm-hmm. It needed to be longer. So... I was a big fan of the Ink Spots. Oh, okay. Because of Owen. Mm-hmm. He would play me all those standards, and I, I just loved those old standards. So we're sitting around, and we're talking, and I'm saying, I want to record this song. I really love this song. And he said, well, we got to figure out. we got to make it longer. And I said, well, why don't we just talk? Why don't we do a recitation like the Ink Spots do? He said, "Okay, let's try it." <laughs> That's how that happened. That's yeah, yeah. You just write it real quick. I mean, yeah. Well, she, no, she just repeated the verse and only spoke it. Yeah, I just repeated it and spoke it. And of course, you know, back in those days, nothing was written. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So sorry. Please accept my apology. Uh, Floyd Kramer might say, "Okay, I'm gonna tinkle here," and Boots would say, "Yeah," and I'll start this, and Hank Garland say, "Yeah," like the beginning of Rockin'. That's Garland and Boots um, on that beginning, and and then this one would say, and that's how we did it. And she's no talking charts. about walking around the Christmas tree, yeah. which is the most. Recogn- of all your rockers, that's the most recognized. It's the most. Uh, you know, I always thought I'm Sorry would be my signature song, but it, it's rocking. Mm-hmm. Rocking around the Christmas tree at the Christmas party hop. You're a Christmas standard, baby. <laughs> Thank you. I love it. I wouldn't take anything for it. And, and um, the, the precious thing about it is Johnny Marks, who was Jewish, mm-hmm. Who wrote Holly Jolly Christmas and uh, Rudolph and mine and the, he he never wanted to be a Christmas songwriter. He didn't. He, no, he always just wanted to write you know songs. But he said nothing would come out of me but Christmas. And I oh. said, well, thank you. I'm so happy. But he only wanted you on that song. Yes. And you were only twelve. 12. Yeah. And I don't even know how he knew me to tell you the truth. But Al Gallico, who you remember, mm-hmm. was a friend of Johnny's, and Al was a publisher, and he got a hold of Al somehow, and he said, listen, I want this song to go to Brenda Lee. And Al got it to Owen, and the rest is history. No kidding. What a great performance it is, too. I mean, it's one of those songs you never, ever get tired of hearing, and it's a lucky thing because every Christmas we... <laughs> we and, you know, it, that speaks volumes for the A-Team, the Anita Kerr Singers, and Owen, because that song to me, not because it's mine, but it does not sound dated. Mm-mm, it no. just is fresh, and that was what was so cool about Owen and and all that generation of musicians and, and singers and all. They were just... I mean, they just, they were stars, too. They just had it. Everyone dancing merrily in the new old-fashioned way. 
You're listening to Children of Song. I'm Robert K. Orman, and we're chatting today with the legendary Brenda Lee. And I'm so happy you're here. I am too. <laughs> Always good to be with you. So, rocking around the Christmas tree year after year after year, does it ever get old? No, it does not. Now, Mariah is nipping <laughs> at my heels. <laughs> Mariah Carey? Yeah, with her Christmas song, All I Want for Christmas is You. She's <laughs> nipping at my heels. Need to talk to her. Stop it. Stop it. But uh, uh, rocking around the Christmas tree is what number four on the Christmas hit parade or something? Well, it's been number one for forever. Several times, yeah. Yeah, uh, but she's she's nipping at me, and that's good. <laughs> that's a good song she's got, and that that like rocking mm-hmm. is one of the few original Christmas written songs that's a Christmas hit. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a standard. usually the standards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The old carols and yeah, stuff. Yeah, so good for Mariah. And I got to tell you, out there in, in Children of Song listening land, this woman throws the best Christmas parties. I've been to <laughs> one. <laughs> I think I'm going to have a big one this year, Bob. Oh, good. Yeah, so we have everybody over. Cause I we think all the, sing, everybody sings. Everybody sings, and um, we have a band, and we just have a good time. And uh, the only difference this year will be is I have furniture in the house. <laughs> when I had my first one, I just moved into this house, and it was empty. And we danced, and we had the biggest time. It was great. I think what's ironic there for me as, as someone who's getting to discover you for the first time was that, you know, you didn't have great Christmases growing up. Or, I mean, you might have as a family, but there wasn't a lot of money. Your dad, no. like, made, you know, your own toys and ornaments. And so does that have special resonance for you that time of year now that things are different? It does. You know, we never had fruit except at Christmas. We made our own decorations from stuff in the yard, uh, cutting out pictures from the Sears catalog, hanging them up as ornaments. Uh, Daddy made our toys. Uh, he was a great slingshot maker. <laughs> and uh, he made our little trains and my first little wooden doll. And and uh, that was Christmas to me. And I, that can't be replicated. And um, I'm so glad I, I have those memories that I wasn't too little not to remember. And, I mean, I wanted a bike so bad. And the first bike I ever got, they painted it red, but it was a boy's bike. But I didn't care. And, you know, we just, you did, you had what you had. And you were grateful. Because everybody around us was in the same mm-hmm. place. Right. So uh, it, it was wonderful. You know, you had these big, big hits. You're just like a, a young, young teen. And you've got I'm Sorry and Rocking Around the Christmas Tree and Let's Jump the Broomstick Overseas and these big, big jambalaya but you weren't allowed at your money. You were still li- no. you were living in a trailer, right? Living in like a trailer. You and I went back and visited that, that trailer park. That trailer is still there. And we lived in a trailer. Why didn't they give you your money? Well, Jackie um, uh, Law is in a lot of states because when he got of age to get his money, it had all been gone through. This was a child star in Hollywood. Child star in Hollywood. So they made that law. And a child was not able to touch their money. They could go to the court. And they, I had my judge, which was Judge Briley. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had to ask Beverly Briley. I wanted to buy my mom a home, and I, we had to go and ask him. He had to go see the home. 
make sure it was worth the money, and that's how it worked. And I really didn't receive any money until I was 26. Wow. Mm-hmm. Long time. Touring the world, I mean, <laughs> not two dimes to rub together. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? And I mean, I wasn't deprived or anything. Thankfully, I married a guy that was successful and and all, but uh, I didn't see a penny of my money. Whom, by the way, you met at a rock and roll concert. I met at a rock and roll concert uh, because I love Jackie Wilson. And I went to the old Fairgrounds Coliseum to see Jackie Wilson. Rita Coolidge went with me. And uh, I had never had a single date in my life. My mother didn't allow me uh, to date much, much less a single date. Mm -hmm. I was 17, and we were sitting there, and I looked across the aisle, and this guy was sitting there, and I thought, whoa, he's cute. (laughs) So I wrote a little note, and I gave it to Rita. She said, surely you're not going to send him a note. I said, oh, yes, I am. And I said, hi, my name is Brenda. Would you call me sometime? And I put my number. Oh, Lord, my mother would have killed me. And uh, about three months later, he called. Mm. And we just celebrated our 54th. Mm. Ronnie. It worked. Ronnie Ronnie, Shacklett. Ronnie Shacklett. You, because of your status as a child star, I mean, you were a gold record seller many times over before you were 21. Yes. To this day, mothers of child performers and the child performers themselves come to you, do they not? Yes. Like Leanne Rimes and yes. Miley Cyrus and all these, yes. these people. They, uh, they, what do you tell them? Well, the last one that came to me was Lauren Elena. Mm-hmm. Who now has a number one hit. Yes, and she came to my house. Uh, a friend of mine uh, represents her. And... Um, Basically, what I tell all of them, and I don't tell it to them, I tell it to their mothers. <laughs> let them be who they are. And then let the singing come and the stardom come. Mm-hmm. But don't take away their childhood. Because they can have it both. If they're good, they can have it both. And... um do you sympathize with the Taylor Swifts of the world? I mean, every time one of these comes along, you must a little piece of you must go, ouch, you know, or look out. Or, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I remember when Leanne Rhymes, how old must she have been? 14? 13, 14, 15, yeah. Mm-hmm. Whatever. We did a show together in Washington State somewhere. I don't remember. And uh, she opened the show. And I'll never forget, she was so tired from touring Mm -hmm. that she was like in tears Mm -hmm. from exhaustion. And that's when I told her mother, let her be a kid. She's good. This is not going to go away. But don't take this part of her life from her. You've and, been there. Because I, yes. You've been there. And I've been there, and I speak with all honesty and sincerity. Because if you're good, it's going to come. You know, you don't have to give up everything to do it. Yeah. You still yearn for a little bit of it, though, don't you? The I remember you childhood. Saved, you saved all the letters uh, that you got from your girlfriends when you were on the road. I did. Because they reminded you of what you were missing. I did, mm-hmm. and I missed it. I truly did. But I I can't say that 
that I didn't have that world. Yeah. Because I you did. knew what you were missing. <laughs> I knew what I was missing, so I guess that's why I missed it. But, yeah, I missed the cheerleading games and going on the buses to the ball games, and I missed my friends and uh, the everyday stuff you do in school, and I missed all that. Yeah, dear Kay, here I am in Paris. How are you? Yeah. <laughs> but But because you had some of that childhood, it probably helped you go on and become an adult success, which I think probably has resonance for these mothers. I mean, you're one of the few that didn't flash out at 18. Yeah. You went on to have a very, very big career, so they probably... Take, sit up and take notice of what you're saying to them. I hope they do because, as Bob will tell you, I have had the best of both worlds, and you can do it. Now, as Owen used to tell me, which people have to get in their minds, I'll never forget. He said, honey, you're not always going to be everybody's darling. Mm. And you're not always going to be number one. That's why there's numbers underneath it. (laughs) And I think of those words every day. Keeps you grounded. And it keeps me grounded because you're not. But that doesn't mean that you're not good, that you're not loved, that you're not respected. But you, and Bob will tell you, I don't know of a time that I have ever ate, breathed, and slept this business. No. You, she has no idea that she's Brenda Lee is the problem. <laughs> <laughs> and that's because she was a child. Because it, it, she had nothing to compare it to. No. I mean, it's just, you know. And I always say, I, I told Lauren Elena this, I don't have to wear a different hat to be Brenda Lee. I, I, that's who I am. I'm Brenda Lee. I'm Brenda Tarpley. I'm Brenda Shacklett. I'm the same today. If I went, if I was going on stage to ten thousand people, and you were backstage, I'd be Bob. How a world are you? Hey, buddy, I'll, I'll come right back. We'll have dinner. Blah blah. It's no different to me. But that's what's refreshing in many ways, because I think that is the secret elixir. This idea of being true and being yourself. I mean, the funniest comedians don't realize they're funny. You're exactly right, <laughs> and I think that's what keeps not an edge but I don't know the word but it it just keeps you who you are mm-hmm. I think too you know you are so open to new to I always have been like when you were in Germany yeah and and here's this group of mop tops you know who come over from England it's like they were totally different weren't they totally different and I would stand backstage they opened my shows. You're talking about the Beatles. Yeah. And I would stand backstage and I would look at them and I would think, okay, where are these songs coming from? <laughs> I've never heard these songs. And they weren't doing covers, mind you. <laughs> they were doing original stuff. So John, John was the one I was closest to. And uh, he'd come off stage and one night I just got the courage up. I said, John. Where do y'all get those songs? And very nonchalantly, he said, oh, we write them. I was like, you write them? All of them? He said, yeah. And I said, okay, can I have a little demo tape and a picture? And at that time, uh, the audience won't know what we're talking about. A lot of them want, but we called them teddy boys in England. And they dressed a certain way, much like the Beatles did when they first came over, which was kind of a rough shod. Rocker. Way, mm-hmm. rocker way. Mm-hmm. 
so I took the picture. I, I took the little tape. Wish I had that tape. Took that tape. Took that. And as I call them, the suits at the record company listened, looked, and said, this look will never happen, nor will this sound. <laughs> that was in... 63. Yeah. <laughs> Not long after I Want to Hold Your Hand came out. And I went, nah, 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 Because <laughs> I just knew they were going to be huge and change the landscape of music as we knew it. One of your great mentors as far as, you were always mentoring women. You're yes. big on, and you're always boosting women in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yes. Which Cicero, that Rosetta Tharp went in this oh, year. Oh, and I just, I cried. And Nina Simone. Yes. So anyway, Patsy Klein was a huge, huge mentor to you. Yes, she was. She was was. a big star, big, big star when you were starting out. Yes, I was 10, 10 when I met Patsy. We were doing a show down in Texas somewhere. And at that time, you did what you called a head count. Whoever was with you, your manager, whoever, that count, how many people were there. How many paying customers, Mm mm-hmm. Because you got paid, generally in cash. Make sure you got paid. Well, we didn't get paid. And my mom and I were stuck in Texas. And Patsy was on the show. And I guess she heard. And she said, come on. You got stiffed? Got stiffed. She said, come on, get in the car. And she had this big old limousine or whatever. And... uh, Drove us back to Nashville. And that's how we became friends. And I'd go over to her house, and I'd stomp around in her cowboy boots and put on her fringy stuff and just think I was just wonderful. And she, as Bob will tell you, in every good, wonderful sense of the word, she was the greatest broad that ever walked. (laughs) I just absolutely adored her. And she gave as good as she got. Meaning she didn't take no crap off anybody? No crap. And (laughs) she was tough but soft but sweet. But I I absolutely adored her. And there will never be another one like her. No, there won't. There will never. You know, for years, I remember I pitched some of your tunes to Lynn Anderson one time. And she said, no. She said, once Brenda has sung a song, it's been sung. And for years and years and years, nobody in this town would sing any of your ballads or no, any of they your wouldn't. hits because you were at the, the, this year, Alison Krauss has put two of your songs on her. She did. And this is the funniest thing. We were backstage at the one of the inductions mm-hmm. at the Hall of Fame and her son, Sam, was there mm-hmm. and he's precious. I've watched him grow up. He's pretty funny. And Alice, I didn't know she had cut losing you and all. And and we're standing backstage, and and she's telling me, you know, Brenda, I hope you'll be proud, but I cut one of you. And Sam says, I told her not to do it. <laughs> I said, Mom, you not you shouldn't do that. And she's saying, Sam. <laughs> and it was the cutest thing because I've known him since he's about two. But she did a marvelous job. I, she sings like an angel. Well, losing you, though, the, the, I miss two things. That beautiful trumpet obligato that's on yes. your version was gorgeous. And start me out. It's like, um, 
da no, da. No, you're da, you're the lyric. It's don't, don't sigh a sigh for me. Don't ever cry for me. This is goodbye for me. I know we're through. I'm losing you. She changed the lyric, and <gasps> that's what bothered me. She went. You can't change the don't lyric. Don't sigh a sigh for me. Don't ever cry for me. This is goodbye from me, she sang. And I went, how could you? The song is beautifully constructed, and yeah. you changed a word. No, you can't change words in a song. <laughs> I never did that. No, you always did it. I always You, you respect did. the lyric. You always did. I do, and I respect the songwriter. Mm-hmm. And um, if that's the way they wanted to write it, mm-hmm. I'm going to say the it other, that way. The other one she covered is uh, All Alone Am I. That's Which I believe Both is... Both those songs are foreign. Yeah, they are. Oh, you mean they were written overseas? Yeah, uh, All Alone Am I was the lead song in Never on Sunday. It was written by the Greek writer Hajidakis. Oh. And Losing You, let me see. It's French, I think. Losing You was French, yeah. Um, but, but All Alone Am I, I think, is the first record in Nashville to use a harpsichord. Yes. And that is another thing I missed, that beautiful little harpsichord pattern that's in the, in, all through All Alone Am I. <laughs> No other voice can say the words. And if you listen to my records, especially with Owen, he always had the most inventive intros <laughs> using different instruments. You know, just like you said, he, he wasn't afraid to experiment. Mm-hmm. Now, you made the transition to being a country star by singing the songs of Chris Christopherson, basically. Yeah, I called him and I said, you know... Uh, you started my walk into the Country Music Hall of Fame. Aww. He said, what? I said, you did. I don't think he even realized it. I said, he said, how? I said, you dodo with the song Nobody Wins. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He said, really? I said, yes, that was my first huge country hit. And you, <laughs> this is a funny story. <laughs> you used to record at the Quonset Hut on Music Row, which is a big old, it's still there. It's a big old army Quonset that Owen had turned, Owen Bradley had turned into a studio. Yes. And Chris. Okay, so I'm going into a session, my session. Chris was the janitor. Well, I didn't know. I'd not met Chris. And I'm trying, the door's locked. And I'm trying to get in. And he said, pardon me, ma'am. I said, yes, sir. He said, this is a closed session. I said, yes, sir, I know. It's my session. He said, oh, and he was the sweetest thing. That was our introduction. And we've been friends ever since. Chris Christopherson, the janitor who tried to keep her out of her own recording session. Yeah. I've always loved that story. Isn't that a sweet story? (laughs) It is sweet. And he later married your your cheerleader buddy, Rita Rita, Cooley. Rita, he certainly did. (laughs) And... uh, what was uh, at the induction before last or two inductions ago or whatever it was? He was telling me, he said, I said, Chris, you don't look like you feel good. And he said, Brenda, I don't know. He said, I may have to just retire or something. I just don't know. And I said, Well, what's wrong? And come to find out, he had been bitten by a tick in North Carolina at one of his concerts. 
Oh, and he had uh, Lyme, Lyme disease. Lyme. Yeah, he had Lyme. They thought it was Alzheimer's. For they a long did, time. and he did, because he said, "I'm losing my memory." And I said, "Buddy, the way you looking on, put the lyrics in front of you. Your audience doesn't care." And we laughed about that. And then, you know, I called, and he had the Lyme's disease. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for a long time we yeah. did, because he did have to read his own lyrics. And I, and I, I remember the first time I saw that, I went, "Oh my God." You know, how could you have to read your own lyrics that you wrote? I know, but he's good. He's good now. Do you ever use tricks? Like no. Like lyrics or no? No. Uh, you know, <laughs> one night, if you can imagine, I don't know where I was, but I forgot the lyrics to Jambalaya. <laughs> well, I made them up. <laughs> I just kept on singing and doing Cajun words I, and got through it. And I guess the audience... Didn't care, didn't know. But I, and I thought, how can you forget Jambalaya? You've been singing it since you were 10. ten. <laughs> but sometimes, you know, you just do. How did you learn showmanship? I mean, you were just a little taught who sang. Who taught you to move and who taught you to be a showman? I learned from the best. I learned from watching, to start with, other great entertainers like, like Durandi and... Garland and all, but I had a man that taught Garland everything she knew. He also was a head of the Ringland and Barnum and Bailey Circus for 35 years. He taught the elephants to twist. He did everything. His name was Dick Barstow. Mm -hmm. He's in the Guinness Book of World Records, he and his sister Edie, and he just was, uh, he taught me everything I know about the stage. He did Judy Garland. You met Judy Garland. I did. I did. You, she was, this was, actually, you're the youngest person that ever headlined in Vegas. I'm remembering this now. And it was, you were following her into what? The, the uh, Sahara. The, the Sahara. Nervous as all get out. Mm-hmm. Following Judy Garland. I mean, come on. My idol. And we sat out at the pool one day. And uh, like I said, Judy was playing there and I was going to follow her in. And... Um, she was talking to me, and I'll never forget what she said. I said, if you had any advice, for, and I'm a kid, if you had any advice for me at all, what would it be? And she looked at me for a few seconds, and she said, don't let them take away your childhood. <sighs> Which they did her. Which they did her. And that's why I tell all the young people, you can have both. It, you don't have to not be a kid. You can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, kids today, I look like a kid. Kids today don't look like I looked at 14. No, you look like a 14-year-old. I look like a 14-year-old. and um, But you can still be a kid. And I told Leanne Rhymes' mother that. And uh, I tell everybody that that comes to see me. Just be a kid. If you're good, everything else will come. You're aging very gracefully, I must say. Well, thank you. <laughs> I, uh, I, you know, I've, I've been blessed in a lot, a lot, a lot of ways. Health-wise, I've really been blessed. Um, when I think of the traveling that we've done and... Uh, the hits and misses that we've had out there on the road. and But you never got into drugs or alcohol or anything? No, and you know why? Mm-mm. Because I knew I'd like it. 
<laughs> so I stayed away from it. No, you got to know yourself. And I knew, ooh, I might like that. So I stayed away. And, and my biggest deal was I knew it would kill my mother. Yeah. <laughs> and I would never do anything because she pretty much gave up her life for me to do what I did. She did. She absolutely did. One of my favorite Grace stories, this is not the ending story, but it's a story that I think is hilarious. You're in South America, and it's some one of those fascist little dictator states, right? Yeah, yeah. you got to tell this story. The army is trying to prevent you from getting on the plane or something or other, and she puts slam, takes off her shoe. Oh, mother would always take her high heel off. And if she ever took her high heel off, you need to run because she was in attack mode. Mm-hmm. And they weren't going to let me on the plane. Boy, she took that eye heel off. And that soldier with that Tommy gun, whatever it was, he went, oh, 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 yeah, please, 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 please. you know, and we got on the plane. <laughs> My best story about mother, though, and I, she smoked. Yes, And a lot. I never wanted her to smoke, but she smoked. And you know those auditoriums that have those um, metal steps? Mm-hmm. and they go this way, and then they turn, and they go that way, and they turn and go down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Mother fell down, rounded the corner, fell down the next flight, rounded the corner, fell down the next flight, Jeez. got to the bottom. I'm up at the top speechless like, oh, my Lord, my mom's dead. My, my mom is dead. I know she is. <laughs> I looked down, and I said, I'm crying. I said, Mom, are you all right? And she looked up, and she said, has anybody got a cigarette? <laughs> That's never, my mama. You never told me that story before. Oh, Lord have mercy. She was so cute. But when she took that high heel off, you best move. When you get inducted into these halls of fame, and you and it's happened to you over and over, and you keep on, you must look back and go like, wow. I mean, what do you think about your your career when something like that happens it's like I really did something <laughs> that's why but that's what I think because I never dreamed I did as much as I did and you know I'm telling the truth I it was as much a shock to me to get into any hall of fame the only hall of fame that I ever thought that I'd be in was Georgia mm-hmm. because I'm from there and I thought, well, one day my hometown, they're going to induct me into that Hall of Fame. That'll be great. And that was actually the last one. Yeah. <laughs> I never dreamed that I'd be in any Hall of Fame, much less all of them. <laughs> just never dreamed it. And that's why that I just, uh, I, I'm so thankful for every, because I felt like, when I went into the Hall of Fame, Owen Bradley went in, the A-Team went in, the Anita Kurz went in, the disc jockeys that helped me went in, the publicists, the columnists, the Red Foley went in. Everybody went in. My mama went in. Mm-hmm. We all went in. You don't, Nobody's a star by theirself. No, and, I, and, uh, and I've never told this, but this man wrote my speech for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Yes, he did. I said, Bob, I'm so nervous. I can't think of anything to say. You know me better than 
anybody in the world. Just make it short and sweet and 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 real, like only you can. And he did. And I still get comments. I will tell you something. That. I I wrote Brenda and I wrote her autobiography together. She sat at my house all day, five days a week for a year. If I had to spend that much time with most celebrities, I would strangle them. But didn't we have fun? We had a blast, and I never got tired of being with her. And I now know. you know why. We had, yeah. we had so much fun. <laughs> you are great. Because I'll call Bob, and I'll say, Bob, who's floating under the radar, what girls are coming up? I need to know, because some interviewer is going to ask me, and I don't want to look stupid. Because <laughs> I don't listen to a lot of music, believe it or not, I don't. Most and, people don't. And he'll tell me, well, this one's doing this and this one's doing that. And, you know, and that's how I learned from him. Well, I think it's it's so amazing that your legacy will live on in those places because Thank you are you. a really important artist. And I think we're super excited to have you on the podcast. Well, I'm super excited to be here. This has been fun. This is not like an interview. This is like getting together with your buds <laughs> in your living room. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Bob. Before we let you go, we want to welcome you to the B-Side, Stories from the Road. Here's a chance for us to have a little fun and tell one last story. So here's what happens when you put a bunch of artists on a tour bus and one turns out to be a prima donna. As Brenda Lee explains, it doesn't always end well. All right, we were on the Dick Clark Caravan of Stars with Chubby Checker, Dwayne Eddy, uh, the Shirelles, Laverne Baker, Paul Anka. Anyway, there were bunches of us, and we rode the bus. Everybody rode the bus. Okay. Well, nobody liked Paul Anka. <laughs> and he would drive us all nuts with his demands and this, that, and the other. So Laverne Baker, who was a hoot, she got us all together one night. She said, okay, here, at the end of the tour. Tour was over. We were all going home. She said, here's what we're going to do when we get on the bus. We're going to tar and feather Paul Anka. <laughs> and I said, how are we going to do that? Nobody, everybody was for it. We just didn't know how we were going to do it. She said, we're going to get bottles of honey. We're going to get pillows from the hotel room, do them open and get the feathers. And we're going to do it. And we did. We tarred and feathered his rear end. And he was so mad. I don't think he spoke to any of us forever. But, you know, he just got on all our nerves. And we just couldn't take it anymore. When you've got like 25 people on a bus and you're living together day after day after day and you've got one prima donna, you just have to do something after a while. And we did. Put him in his place. Yes, we did. He'll never forget us. (laughs) That's fabulous. Thank you so much. Thank you. Next week, if you like honky-tonks, you're going to love our next episode. David Frizzell sits down with Robert and I, where we talk about his legendary brother, the Country Music Hall of Famer, Lefty Frizzell. We'll find out what it was like touring around with his big brother during his teenage years and learn what it was like to hang out with Ernest Tubb and some of the greats who crossed his path. 
only on Children of Song, the podcast everyone's talking about. Till next time, I'm Brad Newman. Thanks for listening. Listen to Fox News Podcast shows ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcast, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or follow wherever you get your podcasts.